Welcome out to another episode of Draft is in Session. Will Decker here with the man, the myth, the legend, the madman. What is going on, brother? Will the thrill. Great to be here. And it, I don't know why. It feels like a while since we've been in this type of uh, configuration again after Radio Row and all the great things with Draft is in Session. So it's great to, to kind of reset the deck. Yeah, our first post radio row podcast so it does have a different feel to it we were in person for so many of those interviews out in los angeles it was a hell of a week to say the least i'm really looking forward to getting down there uh in the future as i'm going to be making the move to los angeles come this summertime so a lot more in person pods for the listeners out there which will be great um yeah how's the weather looking in la right now well, it's, uh, you know, it's sort of a, a glorious mid-70s. You know, we, we try to not speak too much of the weather to, to sort of get the bad juju from the rest of the country uh, of, of envy. So, you know, we try and hush that up. But L.A. is, as always, L.A. weather-wise. I love it. I'm in an envious place as well up in San Francisco, about 60 degrees Fahrenheit from there. But we, speaking of things heating up a little bit, we can talk about – some sleepers in the draft. The draft is getting closer. We got the combine next week. There's plenty of guys out there that I feel like are not getting the recognition they deserve. And some guys, I feel like that you can plug into certain teams and certain schemes that could potentially be day one starters for some very competitive ball clubs. We're going to kind of go position through position. Jamal and I made two lists of our top 10 sleepers. We have not compared them. We have not seen them. So this will be a really fun kind of exercise to talk about who we're both pretty high on, who we're kind of lacking on, and just kind of describing uh, who could make an impact to the next level that's not getting the attention. Um, Jamal, I think the first position group we got to start with is the position group that is the most, most important. And quarterback is a hard place to find a sleeper, but I actually did come across a quarterback that I think is not getting the recognition he deserves that I, I really enjoy. Uh, did you have any quarterbacks for the record? Will, I did not out of my 10. And so, you know, for me, the I'm really interested to, to hear what you have to say, you know, sort of assessing the position from my end. Um, it just felt like there was sort of a lack of top-end talent, and it kind of made the entire class feel like a sleeper, just because I don't know if I have much faith in really anyone across the position. So I'm excited to, to hear your expert take. And sleeper to me is like third round and on. So if you can get these guys in the third round and on, I think you should be feeling pretty confident about your pick. The guy for me is Carson Strong. And I think Carson Strong, there's a scenario where you could be looking back three to five years from now going, he was the best quarterback taken in this class. I don't think that's much of a hot take, given the uncertainty we do feel of the quarterback position. But this is a quarterback that I love. He's big, strong, and accurate. He's completed over 70% of his passes over the last two seasons. Uh, and he doesn't turn the ball over. I mean, he has an over four to one touchdown to interception ratio. Um, he led all QBs in tight window throws from PFF. I'm going to be referencing them a lot throughout the podcast as I was able to do my research. Um, does have some injury concerns. I think that is kind of the main thing that's pushing him down a lot of draft boards. But, you know, once you get to that third, fourth, fifth round of the draft, it's all about taking the upside of a potential prospect because no one is close to being a guaranteed success from those rounds. I think if you can get Carson Strong as a backup quarterback, I'm also looking at the, you know, the Los Angeles Rams. I know Stafford isn't going to be there forever. 
might as well get a quarterback, develop him in the later rounds. I see a lot of positive things from Carson Strong there, and I feel really confident that he could, with the development, you know, come in and just be an effective quarterback. I'm not saying he's going to be a star, but he could be kind of like a Kyle Orton, you know, or a you know a Davis Mills, so to speak, a guy that you put him in there. He's a backup, but you feel confident in your chance to win. Do you think that's a crazy take to have Carson Strong as kind of a sleeper quarterback? No, Will, not at all. And and as I was looking at Carson Strong, you know, he was someone I looked uh, a lot of film at. And, you know, he definitely has all of the physical tools, as you suggested. There's He's sort of a smaller Josh Allen. Uh, and, you know, when you talk about kind of the differences between Nevada and Wyoming, there's sort of a lot of kind of, if you were to, to pattern match as a GM, you know, you'd sort of be anchoring off of, you know, how relative is he to sort of Josh Allen in that regard? I think he's got it all physically. There's no question about it. The concern for me on tape was with Nevada. And, you know, we had a conversation about this, even as we were doing some live streams over the last few weeks, is that Nevada has really skinnied down the playbook. And there were a lot of simple routes being run by their receivers. It was a lot of, you know, first read, second read, ball out. So my question for Carson Strong isn't the physical. For me, is it can he take the cognition uh, to the next level when you talk about the complexity and the nuance uh, of an NFL offense? And so that's really the question for me. And that's why it's sort of hard to project because that's something that you don't see on tape. That's something that you can't see uh, in an all-star game. That's something that you can't see in these sort of 1v1 battles that we're having leading into the draft. And so that's kind of the biggest question for me. And that's something that I can't really get resolved prior to the draft. And that's why he wasn't on the board for me. But everything you're saying makes perfect sense. And I think the quarterback – like position to your credit is like it's 30 percent skill it's maybe 70 percent or more you know the mental aspect of it how do I break down the defense how do I react quickly how do I show strength in my team and my teammates when we're down 10 or you know we're on the final drive of a two-minute drill we got to win the game you know that's hard to predict that's what makes predicting the quarterback position so hard but just even reflecting back to our radio row you know conversation uh, we had Ryan Leaf on, you know, a guy that's, you know, covering the NFL draft, doing stuff for Pac-12 Network, things like that. We asked him who his quarterback was. He said he was really high on Carson Strong. And that kind of, you know, made me go back and look at some of the tape. You can't predict the, you know, the mental makeup of the quarterback, so to speak. But from what I've seen, I think I, there's a lot to like there for a guy that you could find in the fourth round. You know, it's a gamble this year. And like I said, he could be maybe the top quarterback when all is said and done in three to five years. Enough with the quarterback. Let's move to um, – I'm going to let you go with this position because I have no idea. What was the first guy on your board uh, positional-wise? So, Will, I had – you know, it was sort of an interesting mix. Um, you know, for me, I had a couple of running backs. I had a tight end. I had a wide receiver. Uh, I had an offensive tackle. Um, I had a safety, and I had four defensive linemen. You know, so for me, that was kind of the mix of my top ten. Um, and, you know, I think keeping with the theme of offense, if you want to sort of stay there before we segue, you know, maybe we go to running back a little bit. So we go from the most important position on the field to probably the most commoditized <laughs> position on the field, exactly. uh, running back. Um, two guys, though, I think, again, to your point, Will, of, of kind of catching them late in the draft, 
um, could provide tremendous value to most NFL offenses. Because when I think of sleeper, I think of really three characteristics. One is I have to see on the field production. Uh, you know, you have to sort of be a stat filler at your level. Second is, have you played in some big games and how have you played in those big games? And yeah. then third for me is, how do you respond to adversity? And how do you sort of respond to the negative plays, injuries, penalties, so forth? And, and how have you evolved in terms of cleaning that up? Those are kind of the criteria I look for in trying to assess the sleepers. And I actually saw two guys at the running back position that I really like. One is Damian Price running back in Florida. You know, 5'10", 215. So he's sort of um, lower center of gravity. He's a thicker guy. Uh, but he also has all of kind of the burst and the jukeability um, that you sort of want from a versatile running back. Because the, the name of the game with the running backs is versatility if you're going to go even late round. Uh, at that particular position. What I really liked about him is, again, played at the top level at Florida in the SEC. 100 carries, 574 yards, 13 touchdowns. So he didn't. He doesn't have a lot of tread on the tires, but he's also very effective receiving the football. 19 catches, 216 yards, three touchdowns. And what I really loved was his production against the most elite of competition. You know, nine carries, 69 yards against the vaunted Georgia defense in the Georgia-Florida game. And so I think he can provide a lot of versatility to an NFL team in the backfield, receiving the ball, goal line situations, and also in kind of the screen game and trying to kind of get that home run run. Um, and so I really like Damian Price as a value pick late. The other guy I really like at the running back position, and Will, as, as a Sun Devil, this will probably oh, be oh. your heart, is, is Mr. Rashad White. You know, 6'2", yes, 210. To me, he's like a taller Alvin Kamara. And when you yeah. sort of look at how he uh, broke down statistically this year, 182 carries, 1,006 yards, 15 touchdowns. The year before, as you and I have sort of discussed, you know, the guy had 10 yards a carry, 42 carries, 420 yards. And then when you factor in 43 catches out of the backfield this year for 456, I mean, there's just incredible uh, versatility that he provides. And when you look at him on film, you know, he runs a 446, but he doesn't look that fast on film, and yet nobody can catch him. And, yeah. you know, he's got the great feet. He's got that patience uh, right at the point of attack. But then he can run you over, he can run through you, he can run around you, he's got the burst. I really like what I see out of Price and White as some gem picks uh, with the right offenses. You can plug them in a lot of different positions and get a lot of value. Well, the first overlapping player we have is Rashad White, so I will be checking that briefly, but I think the Price pick is spot on. Our buddy Mike Renner from PFF, who was just on the podcast a week ago on Radio Row, described him as an armored truck out there like trying to tackle somewhat of that he is a hard guy to bring down he showed great numbers at florida i think that's an excellent pick he was a guy that i definitely considered on the short list i only kept it to one running back and that was our guy rashad white what i look for in the running back position it's can they catch can they run the ball size kind of home run threat and he checks a lot of those boxes if not all of them and the one area he's been kind of inconsistent in 
it's not from a lack of effort. I think it's more of a technique thing is the pass blocking. But he is a big back. I expect him to get coached up at the NFL level by some of these running back rooms where blocking is a big thing. And if he can just check that other box, it's like, what else do you want from this guy? You know, this guy can be a goal line back. He could be the rare three down back the way he's built at 6'2", 210 pounds. I expect him to add more muscle moving forward. And another thing that was pretty crazy was you talk about the tread on a running back's tires, which I think is, you know, an underrated thing for a running back coming into the pro ranks. Um, He only had 182 carries this past year. He was in kind of a committee of running backs as well as the quarterback, Jaden Daniels and uh, DeMonte Trano, the running back that's transferred to Ohio State. They combined for 212 carries, you know, so there was a lot of other carries coming elsewhere, uh, you know, in the ASU backfield. So you combine all those skills. I said lack of tread. You can get this guy coming in. I think this could be a home run pick when we're looking back on kind of like similar to Kamara, like you're saying, how did this guy last so long in the draft? when he could be one of those top fantasy players when we think about it moving forward. So I love the Rashad White pick. I love the price pick. I think we're off to a great start. How many receivers did you have is my next question. So we, I, I had one. What's up? I had one. You had one? Okay, let me count mine. I got one, and I've got a total of two. So I got two receivers. Do you want to hear my first one? Go for it. My guy is David Bell, and he doesn't blow you away, you know, with the physical. I mean, he's about 6'2", 205 pounds. But in a weird way, it kind of correlates to Drake London, who is a physical freak. And the fact where it's like, yeah, you could say everything. You can't stop him. You know, you can line up. You could game plan for him. You knew it was coming with Purdue. He was the main source of offense there. They couldn't stop him. And he's has 2,000-yard seasons to his credit. The year that, you know, was COVID shortened, he only played six games, but he was well on his way to three consecutive thousand yard seasons. You know, he's just ability to get open in tight spaces, I think is really impressive. Um, he has 33 catches in the red zone. That is 14 more higher than the next Big Ten receiver over that span since 2019. And then he's got 41 contested catches, which was shocking to me. That is the most in the power five, period, since 2019. Wow. This guy is able to make plays in the open field, you know, 93 grabs, close to 1,300 yards, six touchdowns. And the key factor I look at is we're talking about all these receivers at the top, Garrett Wilson, you know, Chris Olave. Guess who won the best receiver in the Big Ten this year? It was David Bell, you know. So I think this guy can ball. I like him coming in day one and being a slot guy. He's not going to blow you away with the measurables. But another guy that didn't blow you away with the measurables, Cooper Cup. And look what he's doing, not to compare their games, not to say he's going to have a similar ceiling, but I think the physicality is overrated when the production is there. So that's my guy, David Bell. What do you think about that pick? Will, I love that pick. And, you know, he, he we didn't have overlap there, but Bell is another guy that I looked at very closely. And he, you know, if I had an 11th or a 12th, uh, you know, member of my list, it would certainly be Bell. I love him for all the reasons that you described. And everybody forgets that, the Boilermakers' nickname this year was the Spoilermakers, and they played some big-time uh, competition in the Big Ten this year, had some big-time wins, and Bell played his best in those games and really was a focal point of their offense. You know, this is the first time that Purdue really looked like a balanced offense with a lot of sort of nuanced passing elements 
uh, since Drew Brees was there. And when they kind of, you know, had what they used to call basketball on grass uh, in, in the late 90s, early 2000s. And Bell was a huge part of that. I love his ability to catch uh, contested passes. And that's something that's really going to be a skill very vital at the next level where the windows are tighter, separation is harder to get. You have to rely more on your craft and your hands um, and that that elusive catch radius that we talk about. So I completely agree. I think Bell is a really high quality pick. And I'm surprised that he's not being talked about more considering he's from a power five conference uh, that that gets a lot of notoriety. And this is a program that just put out Rondale Moore last year, who we saw yeah. have success as a rookie with the Arizona Cardinals. You know, similar products, similar pipeline with Jeff Brom doing big things at Purdue. I'm interested to hear your take on the receiver, Jamal. Uh, no overlap with David Bell, but I want to see maybe if your receiver is the same one I have in our top 10. So my guy, Will, is Calvin Austin the third. Uh, oh, from, he was on my short list. He was on my short you know, list. Was, so it's, it's uh, you know, great minds. You know, it's like my father says, well, either great minds think alike or fools seldom differ, you know, but we'll, <laughs> we'll take it as the former. Uh, you know, so Calvin Austin the third for me at 5'7", 173 uh, out of Memphis. You know, what I really loved about him, again, the production, 74 catches, 1149 yards, eight touchdowns, back-to-back thousand-yard seasons. But what I really liked about Austin on film is he catches the ball with his hands. We talk a lot about kind of catch radius, very quick with his feet, but he's also a three-level receiver. So you can sort of play him in the bubble screen game, in kind of the short spread game. He can run those intermediate sort of 12 to 15-yard inside slants to get some of those tough yards. And then, of course, he can kind of be your home run threat um, when you're trying to stretch the field vertically. And I think when you look at his frame, again, I think that theme of versatility comes into play where you can put him at the slot uh, a la uh, Tavon Austin uh, back in the day, but he's got the burst to then also stretch vertically. And so if he's your third receiver, fourth receiver, um, you know, in some pass-heavy heavy sets, you're really going to be creating mismatches with either a nickel corner or potentially, you know, a defensive player that's not as comfortable in pass coverage, and he's going to be able to exploit that. And so his versatility, the variety, the production across the board, uh, I really liked uh, Mr. Austin the third. I love Austin. And, you know, the senior bowl tape, he was absolutely torching some of these defensive backs and one-on-ones. You know, you mentioned he has over 2,000 yards receiving over the last two years, 19 touchdowns, big th- big play threat at any given time. He can work in the slot, things like that. The one thing that kept me out from keeping Calvin Austin, and I'm the guy that's gone on record saying if you like a guy and he's undersized, take him because it could happen. This is taking it to an extreme for me because I looked up the ESPN article, you know, or his stats and size and just kind of read about him. He was 5'10", 162 pounds, like – coming into his senior year. I know he's up past 170 now, but I'm getting very 2-2 Atwell vibes, you know, and these yeah. Rams fans are really already kind of punting on 2-2 Atwell and the experiment there as a second-round pick. And, Will, uh, it, you know, with, with Austin, it's going to be interesting in terms of the measurables at the Combine itself because there's some reports that have him at 5758, and other reports have him at 510. And so it's going to be really interesting to see where he comes in. Um, he didn't look that small on film. 
So I, you know, I think that, you know, I'm probably leaning closer to sort of 510, maybe even 510 and a half, but that's going to be a real interesting take. But I love the production. The production's there, and he's a kid I'm rooting for. You know, I worked at Memphis before I came out to the West Coast. So, Calvin Austin, I'm rooting for you, buddy. Keep things going strong. The second receiver I got is a Kentucky guy, uh, formerly from Nebraska, Wandale Robinson, 5'11", 185 pounds. Really was the highest-graded SEC receiver since Devonta Smith over the last – second only Devonta Smith since 2015 in the SEC – um, at 91.3 is a game breaker that could be deployed in a similar effect as a Debo Samuel. Uh, he broke 22 tackles at the receiver position this year. That is the most since the PFF started grading in the SEC. And there's a long list of great receivers there from the SEC. You know, you, just the change of pace he provides and the second level of speed he can get to. I think Wandale Robinson is a guy that I look at and go, if I can take an experiment on him in the fourth or fifth round, get him in the right offense where it can provide a lot of yak opportunities, maybe set up some packages specifically for a Wandale Robinson. This could be a guy that could be, a, you know, a flex on a given week in fantasy football. Uh, I don't know if you know much about Wandale Robinson, but this is a guy that I was really, really high on after watching his film and doing some research on. Yeah, Will, uh, uh, me as well. And um, I think that what uh, kind of just separated uh, Austin from Robinson for me is that Wondell Robinson, I think in terms of the measurables and the speed, um, you know, his speed and his separation ability sort of jumped off of the film. He's a little bit raw as sort of a route runner. He's a little bit raw from a technique standpoint, uh, but those are all very teachable things. And so for me, it, you mentioned it earlier. It's got to be the right system, the right coach. You know, can he get into the hands of a McVeigh or a Shanahan or a LaFleur um, or, or folks from that type of tree? Um, and I think then you're, he's really going to be set up for success. I think it's going to be situational, though, where if he's sort of expected as just a sleeper pick as just the highest possible value and the fit isn't there from a coaching staff, he, he may get lost in the shuffle. But I completely agree with your assessment. And again, Kentucky got off to that incredible start this year, 6-0, first time in over 55 years in, in school history. And Robinson was a huge part of that because he was either sort of a primary playmaker in their ability to move the ball or he was the primary decoy. Um, and so their ability to really have success is pr primarily predicated in the passing game due to Robinson. I like, I like Robinson. You made all fair points there. I think uh, it's, it's system-based with him, like you were yep. saying. So get him with the Stefanski, uh, Kevin O'Connell that just went out to Minnesota. This guy can have some success. So we'll see what happens with our guy, Juan Dale. Let's move to the offensive line. This will be the last position group we do uh, when it comes – to uh you know our top 10 with that position group uh give me your thoughts on the offensive line did you have any guys you said you had four off the top of your head i had i had one on the offensive line a lot i had four on the defensive line uh oh, the guy that really jumped uh off the page for me you know i was sort of you know i the, the offensive line position has sort of changed for me kind of pre all-star circuit and then post all-star circuit in terms of seeing uh, and some of these guys in their 1v1 matchups. Cordell Volson out of uh, North Dakota Ooh. 
was really my guy. 6'6", 319 pounds. Um, what I loved about him is, A, he came from a winning program, albeit FCS, played in a lot of big games, um, did a lot of things in high-pressure situations. But what was so impressive as a super senior this year for me is he only allowed 15 pressures and no sacks across 974 snaps this year. Wow. He was absolutely dominant um, at North Dakota State over the course of this year. And then when you sort of extrapolate that from an FCS competition perspective to an FBS competition, he won 47 of his 49 one-on-one matchups at the Shrine Bowl. Wow, yeah. And so when you look at his lower sort of center of gravity, when you look at the feet, his ability to use his hands, his technique, he's physical, um, he can sort of just engulf uh, defensive linemen. I just thought that Bolson is a guy who's not getting nearly enough uh, publicity, and I think primarily it's driven by the fact that he's not at a Power 5 or an FBS school. Volson's a guy that really impressed me, though, on film, statistically, and just everything that I've been hearing and reading about him. And, you know, thank God for things like the Shrine Bowl and the Senior Bowl because it allows you to kind of gauge these prospects you wouldn't be able to watch otherwise. You know, North Dakota State is the cream of the crop at that FCS school, but it takes some of these bowl games. I mean, we just saw with Christian Watson, a receiver that easily could have been on our one of our lists. You know, he didn't make mine, but, you know, Volson could be that guy moving forward. Uh, for my offensive line group, uh, the guy that I really went to, I went to Jamari Salier. Have you heard of this guy from Georgia? I have. He, he was a baller, man, and I was very high on him. Loved what I saw from him. Uh, this guy allowed zero sacks on the left tackle of an SEC team, and the film that really stood out for me was against Michigan in the college football semifinal game. He was tasked with going against Aiden Hutchinson just about every down. He went and, you know, he held his own against arguably the top pick in the draft. You talk about playing well with competition there. It doesn't get much better than that for this upcoming draft. And you added the fact that he played every position on the line except for center this year, you know, showed the versatility. That's what I look for in a lineman. Maybe you're not playing left tackle, but if we can get you in a guard, you know, that could help the unit. A coach, that's a coach's dream for a guy to just be open to playing at different spots. You know, just combine that with how he fared against SEC talent edge, you know, what he's able to do versatility wise and allowing zero sacks in that situation. You know, he may be guard at the next situation more as a tackle, but Salier is definitely a guy I think, you know, if you can get that guy in the third or fourth round, you got to feel feeling pretty freaking good about yourself. Uh, loved what I saw from him. The other guy I got is Kellen Deitch, uh, Arizona State offensive tackle. There's a couple of Arizona State guys in here. It was not a biased thing, just looking at the <laughs> I was about to say, Will's putting on his, you know, forks up, baby. <laughs> our, our football program cannot be talking at all right now. But when it comes to Kellen Deitch, I saw a guy that was the highest graded left tackle in the Pac-12, you know, over the past two years. Went to the Shrine Bowl, and you mentioned, you know, the uh, North Dakota State guy dominated. Deesh didn't lose a rep, a single rep when it came to it out there. So you add the grading, you add the freak size, 6'7", 300 pounds. Great feet, moves well. I think if you're like the Chargers at the top of, you know, end of the second round, maybe top of the third, you might want to trade up or something like that. They're going to cut Brian Bulaga, who is a, a utter bust for them. 
if you can get Deesh to compliment, you know, Rashawn Slater on that other side, I think that could be a real, real pick, you know, for the Chargers that could boost up their O-line group and help protect the asset of the organization, which is Justin Herbert. What do you think about Salier and Deesh as those two picks? Yeah, well, uh, I love Salier. I mean, when you talk about battle tested, right? I mean, you know, you're talking about nine to 10 games uh, against SEC competition. And then the other primary game is, oh, ho-hum Aiden Hutchinson, who's arguably the number one pick in this draft. And so when you talk about being NFL ready, nobody can be necessarily as ready uh, as Salier uh, in that regard. Um, I, I think that those are both, uh, both Deesh and Salier are great picks. Another team that I think comes to mind will where tremendous value can be used for someone like Deesh in particular, yes. being such a freak, uh, the Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, when you talk about how, you know, the Bengals might not be unrealistic in using all their picks on linemen. When you saw how that Super Bowl played out, the game against the Titans played out, and so forth. And, and protecting Joe Burrow is going to be, you know, job one, two, and three. And so I think that there's a lot of room. And when you look at both Deesh and Salier, great fits to sort of be infused into a winning organization, especially Salier, to go from Georgia potentially to the Cincinnati Bengals, high stakes contender. You know, there's a mindset, a cultural mentality there. Um, that doesn't show up on film and sometimes doesn't show up on on the, the measurables and doesn't show up in the interviews. So I think those are both excellent observations. They should pull a, a Panthers, as the Panthers did a couple of years ago. They drafted all defensive players. Yeah. Just draft all O-line. There's a strong case to be made that, you know, the Bengals blew their Super Bowl chance by just not having any semblance of an offensive line because – you look at the numbers. Tom Brady was sacked 22 times this year in the regular season. Burrow got sacked 19 times in four games. And yeah. that's not even including the pressures, which were into the you know high 40s, early 50s. It was insanity to watch that play out as a whole. Madman, I'm going to turn to you here because I I think the edge class is, you know, as well as the D-line for the most part, is a group that I feel like is getting their just due, at least the top guys. Yeah, I want to hear your takes of like the four guys you got on the defensive line because I'm interested. I didn't have any D linemen on my uh, my top. Yeah, I've got I've got a couple guys. Will two guys um, in the edge class, two two D linemen. So we'll kind of start with the edge class. Um, you know, two smaller school guys. The first is um, Ali Fayad, uh, defensive end, Western mm -hmm. Michigan. Uh, really love him. 6'2", 248. Uh, he had 40 tackles this year and 13 sacks at Western Michigan. When you look at him on tape, just incredible straight line burst. He's also got, you know, the feet. He's got ghost rushes, spins, fake spins, a very explosive defensive end prospect, slightly undersized, but he makes up with it uh, with his motor and just his explosiveness. And I think, you know, he could be a really high value pick uh, very late in this draft because, as we talked about, the edge class is so saturated with such great talent, but there is value on the back end. And so for some of these teams that have more pressing needs up front, you can still get value on the back end there. The other de defensive end that I really loved was D'Angelo Malone from Western Kentucky. Uh, 6'4", 240. Um, he had 94 tackles 
and nine sacks this year. He was a super senior. He has 34 career sacks. I mean, just absolutely unbelievable. Again, incredible straight line speed, but also that lateral quickness that makes NFL GMs really salivate. And this sort of ability to sort of pivot out of different offensive line formations, be able to do kind of different swim moves, do counters uh, between your DNs and your D tackles. I think there was a lot of value there. And what really jumped out for me was, you know, he had nine tackles against each Michigan State and Indiana. So when you put him against Power 5 competition, um, his game was enhanced even to a greater level. And so both of these guys, you know, they're specialists, they're pass rushers, uh, incredible explosiveness, incredible production um, at some smaller schools. But I think they could make some teams very happy at the back end of this draft. And I love the Malone pick because we talked about in extensive length about Jermaine Johnson being a guy that, yes, he's great rushing the passer. And that is a huge element to an edge rusher. But if you can play the run, too, that is just shoring up a lot of concerns from that position. You mentioned D'Angelo Malone was able to play that high tackle games from a defensive end. Sign me up for that. And you cup that with the point that he had four forced fumbles. He is trying to get turnovers every time he's able to disrupt it you know, cause potential turnover situations for the defense. I'm all in on D'Angelo Malone. And I got a guy from Western Michigan a little later that just didn't make the list, but I'm excited to bring him up. So I, this is my first kind of really diving into Farad. So I'm excited that you mentioned him. I'm going to have to go study him some more after this podcast. Who are the two interior defensive linemen? So that the you two interior play? linemen for me, Will, uh, you know, and it's hard to sort of be under the radar when you go to this particular school. But I also feel like Neil Farrell, uh, defensive lineman from LSU, is not necessarily getting the buzz that uh, traditionally somebody from LSU should. I think just, you know, the, the, the man crushes that we have on that entire Georgia defense – Alabama's usually got their guys and so forth. He's really falling by the wayside. 6'4", 325. You know, he had 45 tackles, two sacks this year, but an interior run stuffer. Um, And he faced double teams constantly this year in the SEC, and he was able to shed them um, time after time on film. Very strong, lower body, but he's got this exceptionally quick first step. And, you know, he can play... Uh, one technique, three technique. He's really good in that A-gap. Um, and even when he's not quick enough necessarily to be an effective pass rusher and get to the quarterback, very good with his hands. So the hand fighting with the offensive lineman, but also he gets his hands up to be able to sort of deflect passes and cause havoc in the passing lanes. You know, and again, against elite competition, seven tackles and a sack against each old Miss as well as Alabama. So this was a guy that, you know, he, again, when the lights got brighter, played even better and had to deal with the adversity of the double team. And so I really like what Neil Farrell brings to the table. And my other guy is Travis Jones, uh, defensive lineman from Utah. You know, 6'4", 326. He had 48 tackles this year, four and a half sacks, seven and a half tackles for loss. He's basically everything that Farrell is, but he's also an above-average pass rusher. So he's sort of an eater of the run game, and he can plug in uh, to those spaces and those gaps. But he, unlike Pharrell, actually has the burst and the speed 
to finish it off in passing situations and get all the way to the quarterback and either play the hurry game or get the outright sack. And so these are two guys, I know we're just in awe of this uh, pass rush and run blocking uh, in terms of defensive line, just class overall. But these two guys just jumped off the tape for me as well. And you made two excellent points on these two guys. Travis Jones was going to be a guy on my list, but I do think like with the combine, there's a chance this guy could move up because there's whispers that this guy could have a bench press in the record amount. I know you saw the clip. It has become Twitter famous right now. Jim Nagy, the senior uh, senior bowl, you know, uh, kind of the head of the senior bowl tweeted this out. He stood up the Michigan lineman just with his right hand just pushed him back five yards. That is brute strength at a different level, Madman. I mean, I was in awe of what I was able to see from him there. You look at the tape, he did show out against those big competition games, the Clemsons, you know, the, the big-name opponents that UConn was able to get on the schedule. So I love that pick. Neil Farrell Jr., too. You know, say what you want about Ed Orgeron as a head coach. The one area he's been specifically great at is the defensive line dating back to his days at USC. That is what he is. He's a position coach that may have gotten some opportunities as a head coach. He did a phenomenal job with Neil Farrell and both of these guys. We've tried to bring this back to Los Angeles. Chargers need a nose tackle. Every Chargers fan we talk to, they don't want to reach on one in the first round with, you know, Jordan Davis of, you know, Georgia, who I think is a phenomenal prospect. But if you are willing to get maybe an edge rusher as well as a nose tackle in back-to-back rounds, this defensive line is going to be special with a guy like Boza on the right side. That is my hope for the Chargers. If they can get Jermaine Johnson at 17, go to the second round, maybe get a Travis Jones or a Neil Farrell. Man, you do that, your problem is pretty much gone if these guys hit where they're supposed to hit. So I love that. Uh, Madman, I got two linebackers on my list. Do you have any linebackers? I don't. I don't have linebackers, yes. Ooh, I love it. Uh, have you heard of Chad Muma from uh, – yeah from uh, Wyoming. I am yes. very, very high on this guy. And my thing with Muma, he might be one of my favorite overall prospects in the entire sleeper division, six foot three, 242 pound back, but he plays much faster than that. Um, 142 tackles, 82 solo. This guy balled out at the power five level. And he was, you know, in terms of the other conferences, you know, the American conferences, I think it's called the G5 is what they're all referred to. The MAC, the Mountain West, the Sun Belt. He was the highest graded linebacker among those, you know, that were competing for that position. And normally I'd look at somebody like Wyoming and go, I don't know, you know, maybe he can translate. There's Josh Allen was a unicorn when it comes to that. Maybe this guy's off. What gives me confidence is that Aaron Bull, the linebackers coach of Wyoming, coached up Logan Wilson, who was the mm-hmm. starting linebacker for the Bengals this year and did a great job. And it's ironic. They're very similar players. Um, Logan Wilson had four interceptions in the NFL this year at the middle linebacker position, which I found very you know, impressive given what he is billed to be. Muma had three picks this year, and he took two of those to the house, like outracing DBs and wide receivers to get to that end zone. So Chad Muma, I'm all in on this guy. I think he could be a potential, you know, spoiler. I think I'm going to compare him to Sean Lee. You know, Mm -hmm. if he can reach his ceiling, just from what I've seen, Chad Muma is my guy. And if you can get him in the third round, I feel very, very good about the prospects of him turning into a consistent starter. Not comfortable saying star yet, but the other guy that I got, Leo Chennault, uh, six foot two, 
261 pound linebacker. Think about that. 261 pound linebacker. Uh, it's rare to be putting a second team all American on the list of people that, you know, are underrated to the NFL draft process, but Leo Chanel, 95 tackles, eight sacks. If you're looking for a downhill guy, you know, it's fourth and one third and two, you got to get a stop. This guy is just a bruiser. He plays faster than the two, six, uh, 260 pounds that he's at. Apparently he's supposed to run in the four, six range at the combine, which at 260 pounds, it just makes him a freak of nature. He may be moving up the draft board if that happens in the second or third round, if that were the case. But I just I love everything about this guy. I think he does have to improve a little bit in the passing game. But specifically, if you were just to draft a guy for the run as a linebacker, he's in the top five of that list. And there's situations where I feel like he can be very effective. Give me your thoughts on Muma and Chanel, because I love both these guys. And I'd be happy if, you know, a Rams or a Chargers was able to somehow pick this guy up maybe in the later rounds, depending on that 40 time. Yeah, well, you know, with Muma, what I love is the responsibility of being essentially the captain of the defense and being able to be effective in pass coverage and also stopping the run. And I think that that level of maturity and that understanding of the game is what makes him so valuable. We talked about, obviously, 142 tackles is a huge number. He's running around all over the place. The guy I thought of when I saw Muma, and, you know, again, this was a guy that just missed for me, uh, again, in terms of top 10. I thought of a guy like Zach Thomas from the Miami Dolphins. I'm taking it back here, you know, in terms of the early 2000s. His sort of feel for the game, his instincts, and he's just one of those guys who had a nose for the football. And, and you couldn't really sort of put your finger on how and why he was doing what he was doing, but he seemingly was always in the right place at the right time. So I agree with you with Muma, just in terms of his football instincts, his knowledge of the game, the level of responsibility that he's had, along with having to be effective in both stopping the run and the pass, I think makes him very attractive uh, moving forward. With Chanel, I'll be honest with you, Will, you know, I didn't think of him as a sleeper for exactly the reason you mentioned as a second team All-American. I thought of him as a little bit more uh, of a household name, but you're absolutely right. And how many times in the NFL we have seen games swing on third and one, third and two, fourth and one, fourth and two, right? This is sort of the whole revolution that's taking place, particularly with the Chargers and other teams about the analytics of the game and going for it. And so a guy like Chanel, even if you can't extract more value from him, even as a package third and short, fourth and short guy that needs to beeline to the back, beeline to the quarterback, go and disrupt those plays, tremendous amount of value there. And I think there's much more to him than that. But even that alone will provide a lot of value. Yes. And, you know, Leo, it was hard for me to see him in these draft, you know, uh, mock drafts where he's going in the third or fourth round. Yeah. Because I just don't see him as that type of player. I think he's a day two guy in my heart of yeah. hearts at the very least. Combine will determine a lot of factors that are out of our control. But I think Leo Chanel, if he's on the board and you're in that third third round, come on, man. Leo Chanel, that's hard to beat if you're in no need doubt. of a linebacker like that. Secondary, uh, I have one corner. I believe one corner. Uh, I want to hear what you've got from the cornerback. You got, you got one corner and one safety. I want to hear I just got one safety. 
A one safety, one safety. I want to hear it. So my guy in the secondary, Will, is JT Woods, safety out of Baylor. Um, you know, 6'2", 193. He had 57 tackles and six interceptions this year for a Baylor team that really had a historic run in terms of kind of school history and the incredible success that they had um, this season. What I love about Woods and, and where there's sort of a rarity there in the secondary position is that he's got great closing speed, which is obviously something you really need at the safety position. So he's got that long-range ability to be fast and sort of close gaps down and be able to disrupt longer passes. But he's also very quick and has that twitch ability and that burst in the short range. And so that ability to sort of make a decision, disrupt a play, stay with uh, a receiver on kind of a multiple receiver set. Um, and so that ability to play kind of the short space game as well as the long space game really is what made him a ball hawk this year and his fearlessness in terms of mixing it up. 57 tackles is a pretty high number, um, you know, and 80% of those were of the solo variety. And so what I love about him is the physicality uh, when he's sort of when a receiver even catches the ball, but also this ability to play both the short game as well as the long game. And so Woods was a guy to me that was very polished. I know we've talked a lot about secondary guys. You and I, the, the saucer, the stingly debate. I love it. Sure. Uh, yes, Woods sir. was a guy under the radar that I really liked. I like him a lot too. And he's got nine career interceptions. He's a ball hawk back there. We all joke about the Big 12 is essentially an air raid conference. They're throwing the ball a lot. He was able to get a lot of turnovers for that Baylor team. I think that's a phenomenal pick. He was kind of in my top 20. I didn't necessarily have him in my top 10, but definitely a guy that was consideration, you know, for this list. Uh, the guy that I got, um, former USC guy, former five-star uh, recruit. He's now at Arizona State, believe it or not. It's not by choice, man. I think we got a pretty garbage, you know, uh, you know, team on the field right now. But Jack Jones, I really yeah. like him. I really like what I've seen from Jack Jones. And you look throughout his career, he's just a very solid corner. Uh, you know, he's had over double-digit interceptions in his career. You know, a lot of those being 3-3 three, three, and 4 in the last three full seasons he's played. Uh, he was the fourth-graded highest corner in the Pac-12. And, you know, I think for DB specifically, that's an area where the Pac-12 has excelled, you know, in recent years in putting out NFL prospects. I'd say only to the SEC do we have the best corners in the Pac-12 traditionally, if you were looking at the draft grades over the past few years. Um, he provides returnability. He's very explosive. And the thing that I love from him this year, he really developed a different side of himself. He developed that peanut punch, so to speak, to knock the ball out. Not only did he have four interceptions, but he forced four fumbles as well. So when you combine those factors, he had a nice week at the Shrine Bowl. You know, I don't think he's going to be a top pick, but when you had the versatility of him as a returner, potentially, to all those, you know, feats that I just stated. I think this is a guy that can be a nice rotational corner, maybe a slot nickel corner at the very least that can help your ball club out. Do you think that's a fair assessment of Jack Jones? Will, absolutely. And I had a chance to watch Jack Jones live a lot when he was at SC uh, and down here in LA. I think that the, the comp to him sort of locally a little bit was Darnay Holmes at UCLA yeah. from a couple of years ago. What, what I think we all really loved about Jack Jones was the confidence, the moxie. He was very physical at the point of attack. 
I think where he struggled at USC was it was either a spectacular play or he got burnt pretty badly. It was, you know, it was sort of that downside protection wasn't there. And so when he went to Arizona State, what I really loved was, as you mentioned, he added the peanut Tellman punch, but he also had to take on more of a leadership role of not just being another guy at USC, but being kind of the captain of the secondary at Arizona State. And I think that sort of opened up his game, uh, both on the field where he realized he couldn't take as many chances as he did back at USC. And so it tactically and schematically made him a better corner, but it also helped him with the leadership side. So I can definitely see him sort of rising. I think for me, I'm still a little bit worried about the gambling nature. He's a little bit of a riverboat gambler for me, a, a little bit more for my taste than I would like out of a out of a corner. But there's a lot to like there. And again, situationally, if he goes to the right system and kind of work out even some of those last remaining bad habits, I think you've got a really quality pick there for sure. And the thing I like about him too is he's a very sure tackler for his size. He's kind of an undersized corner, but I watched the open field highlights of him at Arizona State early time at USC. This guy was making play after play in the secondary when it came to one-on-one tackling with a bigger running back, a bigger receiver for that matter. So I like the ability there. The consistency is going to be an issue for sure. But, you know, like we said, that end of that draft, fifth, sixth, seventh round, why not? The ability is there for me. And I think Jack Jones would be a home run. Madman, we kind of went through the entire list. I thought this was very well done by the both of us. I do want to bring up one more guy that I may have missed. Um, Sky Moore. Are you familiar with him from Western Michigan? Yes. I am all in on this guy. And a lot of people are describing him as Deontay Johnson, like, you know, Julian Edelman-esque in terms of his route running and quickness, explosiveness in the open field. He was a former quarterback in defensive back in high school, 94 catches, close to 1,300 yards, 10 touchdowns. What he didn't provide, Madman, I know you'll agree with me on this, he did struggle with the likes of playing Michigan this year. So that was kind of a concerning thing. But, you know, Michigan was a top-five defense in all of college football for my money, uh, given what they were able to do, you know, with the the pressure that they were able to bring up front. The Dax Hill is going to be a high second-rounder, maybe a late first if he plays his card right. So a lot of talent there. Uh, maybe his quarterback couldn't get the ball out from what I've been able to see. But Sky Moore is a guy that I definitely like and could be a day-one starter at the slot if going to the right system. Uh, what do you think about Sky Moore? Yeah, Will, I mean, very similar. I mean, you know, I think that his production at the, the slot position was really exceptional at Western Michigan. And we've talked a lot about the, the importance of that slot role in the NFL. It was a red flag to me about the lack of production against elite competition. But we also have to understand and, and cut some folks some grace and some slack here. When I am playing for a Western Michigan and going up against, you know, a powerhouse in Michigan, not only am I going up against better athletes at just about every position, but (laughs) those better athletes are now scheming against me as the primary weapon. And so, you know, that it's, it's a domino effect there where I, I have to sort of scale this mountain and this mountain is like laser focused on me. Whereas when you go to the NFL, Obviously, he's not going to be a wide receiver one at the NFL, at least not right away. I mean, Cooper Cup has kind of shattered what is possible with anyone in in terms of these prospects. But at least right away, he's not going to be wide receiver one. So I think there's going to be an opportunity for him to grow. I love his ability to route run those outs, those curls, 
Um, he was really good, uh, a yard eater. Um, but again, there was just that question about the elite competition. And for me, the, the only other guy, Will, that we didn't touch in the tight end class, which I'm sort of serving it up to you, um, and, and who is in my top 10, our guy, UCLA, Bruin Strong, Mr. Greg Dulcich. Uh, you know, we've talked about the Kelsey and the Kittle comparisons probably, but he's someone who is really a hidden gem as a weapon as, and what, where he's really emerged in the all-star circuit is as a blocker. We know about the ball skills. We know about his ability to make clutch catches and really be a great offensive weapon. Uh, but, you know, he's now a blocker. And he was just underutilized at UCLA. And, and I think I kept him under the radar. He's going to make a team very happy as well. Couldn't agree more. And another guy we didn't talk about is Kyle Phillips from UCLA. Well, yeah. oh. Phillips, I think, at this point is no longer a sleeper after, you know, the way he's sort of blown up. I think three weeks ago, I think, you know, we would be saying Kyle Phillips is probably number one on our board as a sleeper. But Kyle Phillips has started to become kind of a cult hero at this point. I love it, man. And Nate oh, yeah. Tice, the great Nate Tice tweeted this out. He goes, wow, Kyle Phillips looking at stats, going over game film. He averaged over 20 yards a punt return in his college career. So even if he can't figure it out at the receiver position, which I would bet a lot of money he is able to do, he can help you in a kick return, punt return role that was probably better than most of the guys coming out this year at the very least. Kyle Phillips, Greg Dulcich are guys, man. And I think – I think people knew how high we were on them, so we couldn't really call them a sleeper to us. But yeah. I think both those guys would be incredibly lucky to go, you know, or, you know, any team would be incredibly lucky to have those two guys moving forward. Will is the best receiver that UCLA has had in 30 years since J.J. Stokes. I love to hear it, man. I think that is a take that is probably accurate when I'm really breaking it down. You know, Kyle Phillips is that dude. Madman, any last thoughts before we sign off from our draft is in session sleeper episode? Will, this was just so much fun. I think you and I had different takes. What I love is that there was, you know, in the Venn diagram, there was enough overlap there where we had a lot of guys who were in our top 10 or very close. And then we had some outliers, which is amazing. And I think that, again, I think the sleeper is really where the drafts are won and lost. You know, I think you you obviously kind of have your blue chip guys, but GM's reputations over their careers are sort of made off of the sleepers. And I'm really excited about the depth of this draft class. And I think that would be the message to all teams that even if you've got a sixth round, seventh round pick and, and you've sort of filled your immediate need of positions, you may find a guy there late in this draft that could actually be the best player in your class. And I think the depth of talent of this year's class has been very strong. Very strong to say the least. Madman and I will be back weekly to do draft is in session. We're going to upload the Austin Gale interview too, to our draft is in session feed. PFF blessed us during radio row with two of their top guys to come on our draft show it was such a fun time. Me and Madman were able to cover it. Tune in soon. We will be back signing off from LA football network. Will Decker and Jamal Madman. We'll talk to you soon.